All right. I've learned to not interrupt you. I'm going to let you finish talking and saying hi. You're not listening to me anyway, so that's good. It's great. I love it, actually. I'd love to see that you want to turn around and say hi to folks and, and uh, just have a chance to do that. We do greet you, especially if you're a visitor here today. I want to welcome you. You are joining us in a series called This is a Football. And we're, our whole goal, we want to get on the same page with God, and we want to do that vertically with Him. We want to be living out His purpose for His church, because Trinity Church is His church, Right? Amen. This is not our thing. This is his thing. And we want to live according to his design. But we don't just want that vertical understanding with him. We want it horizontally with each other. We want to get on the same page so that we can move forward with what God has for us. So we're excited you're here today. We're continuing on. If you have a Bible today with you, we're in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Go eat popcorn. Remember that incredibly uh, wonderful, like still, Todd, that doesn't help me. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you can't find Galatians, I have nothing for you. All right? So... (laughs) I'm just sorry. But I want to welcome you here today. I, I had one with me earlier. I must have set it down somewhere. But if you're in a home group, you realize last week that your books are done. We have our books in three phases. And so book two is available today out at the Welcome Center on your way out. So make sure you grab one of those so you'll be able to track. Otherwise, you'll show up to your home group this week and like, ah, I have no idea. And that won't go well. So be ready and uh, good to go. Well, here's where we've been. We've been going through the first few chapters. We're now finally in chapter three today. And what we're, we're hearing, what we're learning from God is he has a plan. He has an agenda that he is after. And, and this great thing, it flows out of his love for us. We realize in chapter one that God actually bought, he purchased slaves and made them his sons, made them heirs of all that he has. That blew our minds. We read about Paul's love for the church at Ephesus, even the way he prayed for them. He's very vulnerable and shares that. We read about what it means to be dead spiritually, but made alive by grace through faith. And then last week we talked about what it was that was keeping people from one another spiritually was this dividing wall of hostility that Jesus came to tear down and to create now in himself one new humanity. So it's catching you up to speed where we go. And today what we're going to see is the implications of that reality, the implications of Jesus coming to tear down walls to make one new humanity. Even the song, the first song we sang today, talks so much about that. Walls are coming down in Jesus' name. And that's, that's this great reality that we get to kind of play out more today as we move into chapter 3. We're going to see, though, the word today three times or more, the word mystery today. And I I want to begin with just getting our mind wrapped around things that have been a mystery to us in the past, okay? Think of things that were a mystery to you once. It might have been the fact that when you were growing up that your parents made you take a nap on Sunday afternoons, right? Did you grow up in that home? And it was a complete mystery how your parents look forward to this, but to you it was an agent of torture, right? Do Do you know this? Sun was beaming through the shades, like all I want to do is get up and play and do things, and my parents are making me lay down and be still, and I'm still going to get up and play my toys anyway, you know, kind of thing. That was a mystery. Why would your parents look forward to a nap? You get a little older, the lights come on, right? Now you crave this Sunday afternoon nap thing. Or maybe it was this, maybe you were in high school, and, and I had teachers like this, like you probably did, that as they were teaching and explaining something, they would be asked a really good question. And it was one that honestly, if they were honest with themselves, they didn't know the answer. But they would keep talking and talking 
and talking until you're finally like everyone in the class knows you don't know. Just say it. I don't know what the answer is, but I'll find it for you. That's an acceptable answer. And then five minutes later, coming up fair and going, any other questions? We're like, oh no, just go. Maybe, maybe to you, you're mechanically challenged like I am, okay? And, and you'll keep finding this out about me. The idea that you can take a car key and put it in an ignition and it turns on and then takes you places, I have no idea how all of this works. I'm just really grateful it does, okay? So mysteries, so maybe you're here today and you're married and you're married to a husband, okay? And he is a complete mystery to you, okay? It, it's mysterious how he can walk around the house in his boxer shorts and think nothing of it, like this is acceptable. You're like, no, it is not, you don't get that. You don't understand how he can watch a, a, a sports program on TV for hours he doesn't even care about, but he's keeping score. Why? Right? <laughs> Wives, that you, you might have a situation where he asks you, what's wrong? And, and you don't tell him, but he should keep asking you so you can share your feelings with him. <laughs> Why? Why do, you, know, you don't get it right? And, and these, these are all mysteries. These are examples of things that in our lives we didn't understand at one point, but then later on with time and with more information, we actually would get it. Wives totally don't mean that about your husbands. It will never happen, okay? You won't get it. But other things can be solved with more information, with more revelation, and all of a sudden things actually can make sense and you can know them, See, as we look today, the limited understanding that people had before Jesus came on the scene, the limited information they even had once he had lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and was raised supernaturally, those things were still a mystery until God made these things knowable, made this revelation true to people like Paul who could then say to the church, this mystery has been solved. I'm here to share with you what in ages past was kept hidden, but now is made known. So today we're going to unpack this mystery of the gospel, and we're going to see it through a couple different lenses to help us better not only appreciate it, but then actually engage it. So let's dive in. Number one in your notes, Jesus embodies the mystery of God. Jesus embodies the mystery of God. Your Bible's open to Ephesians chapter three. We'll begin at verse one today. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and kind of leaves that thought dangling. We'll get there. Back to verse two. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, now it's almost like a definition, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And then all the way down to verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Okay, what are we talking about? 
Well, Paul, he's continuing the letter. You've got to remember that as the Ephesian church received this letter from Paul, it didn't have chapter and verse distinctions. It was literally a letter. And as they're reading it, Paul's now moving from this thought last week put out there, Jesus came to tear down to destroy this dividing wall of hostility. What are the implications of that? What does this now mean? We shared a few of those last week. Now Paul's moving over into saying, hey, this is how this came to me. This is how I have received it and how I want to make it known, how I want to make it accessible to you. The passage begins that we looked at a little bit oddly. It begins with this phrase that almost looks like then Paul starts daydreaming. You know, I, I, I'm writing this letter, I'm a, in chains, uh, you know, but I was looking at the Amplified Bible and I think it helps us a little bit more. Take a look at their rendering of this verse. It says, for this reason, and what's the reason in, in parenthetical thought, because I preach that you, Gentiles, and believing Jews are joint heirs, for that reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So what, what Paul's starting out with is he's beginning with this understanding of saying, I am in prison. Remember, this is one of the prison epistles. Four of them in the New Testament were written while Paul was in chains. And so as he's writing, he's saying, I want to keep you mindful of the fact that this is important information. So much so, I'm in jail for it. And I'm not in jail because I've done really anything illegal. Okay, I didn't jaywalk, I didn't murder anybody. I'm in jail Because I've actually preached that Jesus tore down this wall and Jew and Gentile together can know him as Savior. That caused me to be imprisoned. So as he's backing it up, he's helping them realize the value of the information that they've been given and the value of what they should now act on, how they should move forward. And he's saying this is incredibly costly stuff to me, but it's worth it. He kind of bookends this first passage we're looking at today related to the prison idea. And I wonder sometimes if there was this thought, like today we take for granted when we read the Gospels, that Paul will often say, don't be ashamed of my chains. And we'll look at that and we'll go, no, no one would be ashamed of Paul's chains because we knew he was there for the Gospel. He was there to promote the great news of Jesus wrongfully in prison. But you have to realize in the first century, like let's say today, let's say today there is a, an evangelical leader who gets him imprisoned. There, you would be thinking twice about the reputation that might cause and kind of wonder, huh, is that something that he's believable? Is that something that I should trust? The first century had the same question. No reason they shouldn't have trusted Paul, but just the idea of being in chains brought these things into question. Here's what Paul's saying. My chains are a symbol of your freedom. I'm imprisoned because I shared with you I believe with all my heart that Jesus came to save you just like he did everyone else on the planet. That should be something that actually gives you a sense of joy, not a sense of shame. Then this passage uses the word mystery that we talked about three times, kind of unpacking it. And he even gives this kind of biblical definition of what a mystery is, a biblical mystery, not made known to people in other generations, now been revealed by the Spirit, and in this case, revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets. Take a look at the screen. This word mysterion 
is the truth. We see it throughout Scripture. It's a truth beforehand, hidden from human knowledge or understanding, but now disclosed by the revelation of God. This is a really good working definition for this word, this mysterion, and we see it multiple times throughout. So prior to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, people did not get it. Now, we even know, we looked back in the former Testament, the Old Testament, and we read about things related to this thread of hope, this Messiah that is coming in. And even more like we saw in Isaiah 49 last week, Messiah is not reserved for just the nation of Israel. He comes to the world, but nobody really saw it coming. Nobody really fully understood what Jesus was going to do and what his mission was to accomplish. Look at some other passages that help us kind of unpack, because here's my concern. We are gonna, you've heard the word mystery before related to the Bible, and what it conjures up in some of our minds is that only for the spiritually profound can you know the mystery of God. Only for those spiritually deep Can you fathom this mystery of God? And I would say, no, there may be truth to that related to some mysteries of God that has still not yet been revealed. There is plenty about God that you and I don't know. And praise God, we have all eternity to find out. That's that's fine. But the mysteries contained in the Bible that have been revealed have been revealed to you. They've been revealed to me. They've been revealed to all of us so we might now know them and walk in them. They're not meant to be any longer mysterious, nor for just a certain select group of people. They're for all of us. Look at some of the ways this is used. First Timothy 3.16. Beyond all question, the mystery, same word, mysterion, from which true godliness springs is great. He, Jesus, appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, Paul uses the same word. No, we declare God's wisdom, what is that? A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time. So again, another aspect of that definition, hidden previously, but God was going to reveal it. Finally, Colossians 1, 27, to them, God has chosen to what? Make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his, of this mystery, watch this last phrase, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love that phrase. That is to me one of my favorite, just very short summation statements of what the gospel actually plays out in our life. Christ in us. We've made a big point of Ephesians talking about how we are in Christ, included in him. Now we find an interesting thing. He is also in us. And that hope that he projects, that hope that we anticipate is the hope of glory. It's a cool picture. Well, Paul uses three phrases to communicate now this mystery, what is, what is being revealed. Well, first off, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Secondly, they're members together of one body. And thirdly, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Last week, we talked about this a little bit that Paul's actually creating words. I really love this. People, New Testament scholars, of which I am not, but I love to read them, they will talk about how Paul uses either very unique words from the Greek language and actually redefines them to make them biblically accurate, as it were, to portray biblical truth. Other times he creates words, and he does so in this text, just like last week, we saw three examples of the word with, 
with this, with this group, with these two groups. He does the same thing again today where he combines these words together. Together with is the phrase he's using. And what is the implications? Number one, they together, Jews and Gentiles, are heirs. They both were on the, the slavery block and were purchased to be made heirs of all that is God's. That, that's something they share together. They're both members of one body. This is such an incredibly beautiful idea. The church is the representation, the hands and feet of Christ. And it's comprised of people who before were on other sides of a wall. That should speak something to us in a country that is so divided. The church, Jesus' body, is something that crosses all types of different lines. Because he is the focal point. We don't, we don't come together because we are so great in laying aside our differences. We come together because Jesus says, you all were in the same predicament. And I provided a way for you to be right with your creator. And in me, you can be one. We'll get that a little bit more in chapter four coming down the line. And lastly, they're shares together in the promise that is in Jesus. The hope of heaven. They share this great reality, this this forever destiny now together. So these are words that Paul's kind of creating together with idea. A commentator said this, it's on the screen. To sum up, we may say that the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. With, with, with. That's the idea that Paul's pushing hard on. That with Jew and Gentile together with Christ were made one together. And both of these sides, both people from both vantages points, they say, yay God, that you've created this new humanity in Jesus. Here's the wild thing about this mystery. Before Christ came on the scene, before Jesus walked among us, died sacrificially on a cross and was raised from the dead on the third day, Before those things, it was a mystery how God was ever, in a sense, going to make sense of things. What was he about to do? We live on this side of it. We kind of joked a little bit last week. You probably didn't wake up this morning, oh, the Jew-Gentile conflict. What am I to do? You know, you live 2,000 years on this side of the cross, and so in our church experience, we've taken it for granted. Like, duh, I get it. But it's good for us in the book of Ephesians to go back and kind of pound through this idea that was a complete head turner to the Ephesian church so we can get into their sandals and understand the true depths of something we have just probably passed over. But within this, here's the, it's not interesting, I keep saying that word, it's the sad truth. There are people in our world today, presently, right now, 2016, 2,000 years, this side of the cross, who this gospel is still a mystery. People, who, people groups who don't even have the word of God in a language they can understand. Just as mysterious 2,000 years ago is this gospel from them today. And I say that to say, to not make us feel bad. I I have grown up in too many churches, served at too many churches, where we would lay out these kind of guilt nets, right? Here's the truth. Literally, hundreds of thousands of people on the planet today don't know this mystery that you and I take for granted. I don't lay that guilt net out for, oh, I'm going to feel bad. 
and in about three minutes I'll get over it and then I'll just go back with life. I am tired of that. I'm tired of that in my own life. I'm tired of that for you because I don't think anything ever really gets accomplished through guilt. But I think what, when things actually begin to change is actually when we receive a vision, when we receive purpose, then actually we're moved to change because here's the reality. Praise God for our Trinity global missionaries who are serving him and in so many cases bringing the mystery of the gospel to people groups who've never heard it before. We love that. We want to encourage even more from our ranks to go. But the reality is, is that you don't have to go to Papua New Guinea. You don't have to go to some remote tribe in South America. You have people in your relational world who don't know this. You don't live in some sort of Christianized America anymore. You live in a world where people, when you start walking them through the mystery of the gospel, they will legitimately say, I don't know what you're talking about. So rather than just feel sad for people around the world, take to heart, God, I have people in my sphere of influence who it's not just that they haven't responded to the mystery, it's still a mystery to them. Look in your notes. This is what I want you to get from this concept. And if I had my notes open, I would uh, look up and start saying it myself. You guys have it? There we go. For the person in your relational world, the person that you do life with, that you have relational equity, for that person who hasn't truly yet heard or understood the gospel as we've been seeing in the book of Ephesians, it's still a mystery to them. It's still a mystery to them. And the simple question is, God, why wouldn't you want to use me to be a part of that mystery being unlocked? Why wouldn't you want to use me to be a part of that mystery becoming known? God, I'm available. It just begins with that. God, I'm available. I want to be a person of Jesus' influence. We will talk more of what that means, but I want to throw that seed your direction today because you can do more than just feel bad. Number two in your notes, Jesus' church reveals the mystery of God. Jesus' church reveals the mystery of God, continuing in Ephesians 3, verse 7. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, for which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. <gasps> That's a lot. A lot going on there. Let's, I don't have time to cover it as deeply as I'd like, but let's unpack a couple ideas. First off, Very consistently, in all of Paul's letters, he consistently says, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't say, God, me, 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 pick me. I want to be this apostle to the Gentiles. If we look back into Paul's life, we actually find a guy named Saul. And and here he says, he almost, the, 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 the language almost sounds like a false humility. What was the phrase that he used? He said, Um, Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people. And you might hear that, oh, okay. That's just Paul. You know, here's this um, super apostle. 
He's just acting like he's scum. You know what I mean? That's, why would you do that, Paul? Like, you're reading that kind of processing, that seems weird. Well, let me, let me walk you back. Before there was a guy named Paul, there was a guy named Saul. And here's, here's in a short phrase what Saul did. Saul believed with all of his heart that he was doing God a favor by killing and taking from their homes people who believed in Jesus. Can we, can we process that, make that a little bit 2016 for just a minute? There's a group in the Middle East called ISIS, and that's what they do. Totally different God stories of why they do what they do, but at the end of the day, persecuting, tearing from their homes, killing Christians is actually doing God favors in their religious psyche. That's how Saul operated. So when Saul says, I was a bad guy, he was. And then the truth of Jesus broke through and completely changed everything. Even though he never said, pick me, pick me, he would say now, God, you gave me this grace. Just to have been forgiven would be beyond what I had hoped, but now you've actually made me a messenger, an agent of this truth. I'm here. So when Paul says, it's amazing that God would ever choose me, we go, "Uh uh-huh. And and for us here today, too, who maybe have some of those stories that we go, oh, but Todd, you you don't know who I was. I don't, but I say praise God of who he's making you to be and what it means to be in Jesus. And so you are not disqualified. If you are not out persecuting and killing Christians, you're doing better than Paul was. So you're not disqualified from being a spokesperson for him. But I want to draw your attention to these great purposeful words, verses 10 and 11. His intent, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at these incredible words. Remember, I keep telling you, I'm super amped about words of purpose in the Bible. The meaning, the Bible is obviously purposeful, but when it's actually giving you the why, telling you what God is after, I light up because I want to know because he's my audience. I am living with everything I'm about to hear Jesus say, well done. I hope you're living the same way. So when God gets real intentional with us and tells us my purpose is this, our ears should perk up. I love the phrase, the word was manifold wisdom that we just read. The original Greek word can be defined as richly diversified nature. The richly diversified nature of the wisdom of God is this. He has a unique purpose, and it's probably one you've never even thought of before. He wants to demonstrate his wisdom, demonstrate his incredible thoughtfulness of your salvation, of my salvation, not just to us but to a spiritual host of beings, both the angelic and demonic, who have been sitting front row and wondering, what in heaven's name are you doing? They have been watching, and God is saying in this passage, when you are the church, when you live out my calling, my purpose, my function for you, There is a group of people, a group of beings, better said, that you've never even put into account, but are actually paying attention, and it's proving my wisdom throughout. It's such an incredible thought that these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, so you're like, well, Todd, wait a second, that's kind of vague language, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. How did you get to those are angels and demons? Well, a couple thoughts. One is I read a lot of commentaries, 
and within them, there's actually an incredible variety of ideas. So I'm, I'm going to say out of all that reading, this is what the conclusion I've come to. One is, we know that angelic beings want to get this. They want to understand it. And, and sometimes the problem is we have a weird theology of angels, or I guess an angelology. And one of the things we often think is that angels are just like God. And they're not. They're spiritual beings he created, and they are limited. They have a finiteness to them. They don't know everything like God does. One of the reasons we know that, look at this, 1 Peter 1. This is just this great passage you've seen before. Even related to salvation and redemption, even angels long to look into these things. And it actually was Peter talking about how these prophets, these these people were moved by God to write down the written word of God. Even angels want to understand this. So for me, that's not much of a stretch to say that angels are a part of these heavenly realms that God is demonstrating his wisdom to. But here's the other part that was super powerful. That phrase we just used, we said specifically it was the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, is the same phraseology Paul uses in this very same letter in Ephesians 6 talking about the demonic. Look at the screen, First, or Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, what? And against the spiritual forces, in this case of evil, in the heavenly realms. I think you can make a good case for the fact that God, God is demonstrating, God is proving, I have been about something for ages. And now you can see it yourself. When, when there have been times, God creates an, a, a, a garden within Adam. I was going to say he creates an Adam. He creates a garden within Adam and an Eve and, and, and gives them the volitional opportunity to choose to love him or to choose to rebel. I got to think angelic beings were scratching their heads going, no, 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 no. Don't do that. They're going to choose to rebel. And we did. And all of the fallout of that decision, the sin that we have walked in since, God says, but don't give up on me. I'm up to something. I'm up to some redemptive purpose that's currently, even to them, veiled, even to them a mystery. But God says, I want you to see this. Look in your notes. The fact that as you live in Christ, in both your salvation and in your mission of being the church in this world, look, you communicate. You communicate an aspect of the wisdom and the brilliance of God to those who are watching what this creator of the universe is up to. I just think that's so powerful to stop and think about. There's a group of people watching what you're doing as the church, as the body of Christ, and they're actually kind of on the edge of their chair going, oh, that's good. Look at how they are continuing this worldwide rescue effort. Look at what they're up to, proving that God all along was wise and knew what he was up to. It's a dimension of your salvation that you've probably never really given much thought to. I know I hadn't. But as I pull away this week, I go, God, there are so many facets to what you're doing and how you're doing it. I just want to stop and say thank you. Because his ways are so wise. I think of it this way. Think of God's revelation a little bit like the water cycle, right? Take a look at this picture. Did your kids ever make one of these, right? 
Ellie made one not too long ago last year at school, and, I, and this isn't hers. This is just one I ripped off the internet. If you put your kid's stuff on the internet, I'm going to show it. I'm just telling you now, okay? It's going to happen. Think of it this way. Start at the top with condensation. Think of this. The revelation, the wisdom of God, let's use that phrase, the wisdom of God begins at the top. And what does God do? Well, God is actually going to give it. He's going to reveal it. So think of the next stage of precipitation. The beginning is when those clouds are forming, the water molecules are joining together. Now precipitation through rain, through hail, through sleet, through snow, whatever it is, is beginning to come down. As it comes down, it actually comes first to someone like Paul. God uniquely reveals things to the spokesperson, the holy apostles and prophets, and then the rest of the way down, and the reign, as it were, of God's wisdom comes to the church. And Paul takes what he's heard from God, he gives it away to the church, and then you'll see, and this is the other part, I think that we usually thought of God's wisdom primarily going just top down. But this evaporation cycle, as the water now goes back up, as it were, into the clouds, this evaporation part of the water cycle is actually true as well because the revelation, the wisdom of God is being communicated to angelic beings, to even the demonic beings that are around the throne of God. That is an incredibly powerful idea of God, again, demonstrating his wisdom. I am up to something, and we get to play a part in it. Finally today, number three, Jesus enables us to live out the mystery of God. Jesus enables us to live out. What does it mean to be in the mystery of God? Chapter three, verse 12, and to me today, everything culminates to this idea. In him, in Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. The him is related to this incredible, in the flesh, God-man, Jesus. In him, in all of what he has done, and through our belief, our trust, our faith in him, we may approach with freedom in confidence, the throne of God. Can you just stop and think about this for a second? Who else can say that? Just stop and think about this for a moment. Think in your mind. Let, let different examples flow over your mind. Who else can say that we can approach our God with freedom and confidence? You see, in the early church in Ephesus, the Gentiles who had lived out their pagan ways, remember the, the temple to the goddess Artemis or Diana, the only way they could somehow appease her is what they brought to her. Some, some form of sacrifice, some form of doing enough things to somehow barter with Diana for her to give something back to you. That's what the pagan religions of the first century were about. And an incredible process of simply trying to manipulate a deity to do something for you. In that, there is no freedom and there is no confidence. Think about the other people in the local church of Ephesus who were former Jews. And we showed you that picture last week of the temple. A series of exclusions all the way out to Gentiles and then women and then men and then priests and then high priests. Everyone further, further out. Think of how they would have felt coming to Yahweh in freedom and confidence. And the reality is they couldn't. 
because he was a holy God and they were marred by sin. Think of the world religions today that in 2016 are believed in and followed all around our globe. And every one of them, when you boil them down, when you begin to look down at them at the end of the day, there is a system of something that must be done in order to be acceptable to the deity in in mind. That I cannot come with any sort of freedom and confidence to be accepted by this deity unless I do these certain things first. And here's the wild thing that we would never take pride or arrogance in this idea because we're in the same boat. There is nothing we could do to generate the opportunity to have freedom and confidence to come before God except for the first part of that verse, in him and through faith in him. Jesus alone provides us a path to be right with God. We don't claim anything of our own. We don't get our act together first so that then we can come to God. Because Jesus says you can never get your act cleaned up enough. But I can. It's what I did. It's how I lived. It's a sacrifice I made on your behalf. And now in him and through faith in him, we can have confidence. That's our game plan for this week. Approach God this week in the freedom and confidence that comes through Jesus. And don't let this be just some sort of theological truth where you go, "Uh uh-huh, good news, Todd. Let it be something where we go, who else gets to say, who else gets to walk in the freedom and confidence of approaching their God? That deserves a yay, God. Can we do it together? One, two, three. Yay, God. Father God, we come before you today, and we are a people who, as we are more and more gaining an understanding of your objective, gaining an understanding of what it means to be in Christ, man, today the pinnacle of all of what we look at, because of all of these truths, we have freedom and confidence to come to you. We just want to say thank you. Thank you that you would do this on our behalf and not for an inkling, not for a moment do we take pride in that and think that's something of us, that we have somehow done something to deserve it. We found a couple weeks ago that you've done what you've done out of your mercy and your grace. If you're here today and you haven't yet responded to this mystery, now here's the wild thing, at least in part today, this is no longer a mystery for you. You have heard, even in just our short time together today, you have heard the gospel of God sending his one-of-a-kind, unique son into our world who lived a sinless life, who died a sacrificial death, who was raised supernaturally on the third day. You have heard that he came to do this to make you right with your creator. So, What might have even been mysterious before you walked in the door is no longer a mystery. Now the question is, what will you do with this? What will you do with this great truth that God says, I love you. I want to communicate this in all of its fullness. So what do you do when you're approached with that kind of love as you say, I want to respond? 
We respond through the lens of something like the ABCs, A is admit. God, I'm a sinner. I've lived my own way. I know I'm not right with you. I didn't even need to be told that. I knew it before I walked in the building today. But I admit this is true. B, I believe. I believe in this God, man, that Jesus is the only Savior available. And C, now I choose. I choose to walk his path And I want to be someone who unveils this mystery to other people like it's been unveiled to me. You can make that decision to put your faith in him. That last phrase we looked at today. And the Bible says that all things will be new. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your rich grace lavished on us. Help us to be people who come to you in freedom and confidence this week. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.